0: no taxation without representation 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation no representation in the
1: capital of this nation 200 years of exploitation Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me,
0: was it
1: true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show, which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I hope my show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. We started off uh, Women's History Month with an interview with Marianne Williamson, who is a Democratic candidate for president. And we continue our salute to women in politics with Lee McGowan, better known as Politics Girl. Originally from Canada, from Toronto, Canada, Lee started the the Politics Girl project in 2015 as a way to help people reconnect with politics. She launched her now infamous kitchen rants online in 2020 and a Politics Girl podcast in 2021, and she has 1.5 million followers. Oh, my God. Lee McGowan, thanks so much for being with us.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. You know, really I really appreciate it.
1: I've been watching your videos, and I got to tell you, I think you're like a cross between JFK Rocky Balboa and a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. You're amazing, you know. Yeah. You, you're the energy you bring, and the fact that you know you come off as as somebody we all know. You know, I, I think it's just an amazing image that you know you come from your kitchen. I saw you in one one uh, uh, video where you're dressed in a sweatshirt. You just you know you you look like. Somebody from the neighborhood, somebody we can all relate to, and that's so important in politics, right? So, well, absolutely. So how, so how does a nice lady that started out in Toronto, Canada, home of the nicest people on the planet, Canadians, how do you get to California and get into this? Well, what made you start this?
0: Well, I actually started this project um, because I was inspired by people not paying attention to politics. I mean, anyone who knows me can tell you I've been going on about this stuff for years because I truly believe that government matters, but I felt like for a long time I was alone in that feeling. You know, before I started this project, if I sat down and talked politics at dinner with my friends, or um, I would find that most people didn't want to talk about political issues. You know, their eyes would just glaze over and... And it's that apathy, right, that lack of understanding about how things work and why it's important that kind of got us to where we are today. And I don't think it would be some shocking revelation for your audience if I told them that we're not in a particularly good place. So, you know, I started doing this as a way just to get people back into the conversation because, you know, when you understand something, then you care about it and change only happens when people care.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely the truth. And, you know, they often say don't talk uh, politics or religion um, because uh, of the contra- the controversy involved. But you're right, people need to get engaged. And I can tell you as a politician, somebody that's run for public office many times, it's frustrating sometimes because everybody knows about politics, right? It's like everybody has a political opinion, whether whether it's an informed opinion or not, they all have an opinion and uh, sometimes it's very frustrating and that's a problem that the information is not getting out there to people and I think that you are, are, are really doing a great job in putting forth information, political information that people can understand in a way that, that that's also a bit entertaining and certainly engaging. So let's start with with I, I've seen you do some stuff on Ukraine. We've had several uh, guests talk about Ukraine. Uh, <clears throat> we even had Zelensky's former press secretary on at one point. Uh, why? What do you think? We're a year into the battle, or the Ukrainians are a year into the battle. Where does it stand right now, and what should we be doing as the United States?
0: Well. I mean, I would say, first of all, and like I said, you know, I do this entire project from the perspective of regular Americans. You know, I do this entire project to speak in a way that regular people uh, talk so that we can really understand things. Because I think we check out of things that seem too big concept, too far away. You're saying, you know, lots of people who know everything about politics. But I think most of us want to be engaged, but we're checked out. And you take an idea like Ukraine. And you go like, oh God, it's so far away. And I don't know, should we be sending the money? I don't know. Like, I mean, we have stuff we could spend money on at home. Like, why aren't we spending it on homelessness? And you're like, first of all, those two things don't come from the same budget pool. You can't just say, oh, we'll take the money from foreign spending and we'll spend it on homelessness. And secondly, the people that are complaining about funding Ukraine are the same people that would vote against money going to homelessness anyway, right? So we have to keep it realistic. I think what we need to remember with Ukraine as a big picture concept, is that funding this war has nothing to do with charity. It's an investment in our shared global security. Essentially, at the end of the day, Russia cannot win this war, and we have to stop this power grab now, because do we want to live in a world in which bigger nations can just take over smaller nations just because, and no one's going to stop them? Or do we want to live in a world in which there is a global uh, response that kind of behavior. Um, And when we have a world in which there is a growing sort of autocracy moving sort of in the shadows, but also just in the light now, anywhere between Hungary and Belarus and Russia itself and what's going on with China and what's going on in Venezuela, it's all rising up. And it's very important that the democracies of the world, but particularly someone that, that prides themselves on being the democracy of the world, the shining city on the hill, stands up for the democratic nation fighting for its own uh, existential uh, existence in the world. And I, yes, it costs money to plug the dam, but we have to remember it'll cost a whole lot more money to deal with the fallout of autocratic nations that can just take over democratic nations without us stopping them. So I think that there's enough reasonable people out there that understand that. And that long-term, even people like Mitch McConnell are saying, you know, defeating, uh, Russia in this sickening war is the most essential um, thing we can do to help uh, the global world security. And I think that's what people kind of have to remember.
1: Well, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. and uh, But I'm surprised a little bit. I think it shows that the electorate is changing that there's any resistance to this at all. Because you know, I was somebody I'm I'm pretty old guy now. I was somebody <laughs> that protested the Vietnam War and, and that was all about contain- containment, right? We had the we had the domino principle. If Vietnam fall Fell that all of Asia was going to fall, and we put all that money and all that effort into a war that, personally, we shouldn't have been involved in. Uh, so right. I find it strange that that we see some resistance to this now, especially since Russia was the big, you know, under Reagan and 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 uh, uh, Bush, they were the big enemy, right? They were the they were the the, the the people that we had to stand against. But that seems to be changing a little. But I think you're absolutely right. Now, I watched today a recent thing you did on... Um, if I could, uh,
0: before I before we leave that, no, could I yeah. just say, like, here's the thing. I understand exactly what you're saying, but I don't think, yes, the electorate is changing a bit. And it does seem weird to have Americans be on the side of, you know... Big bad Russia, you know, in a lot of ways, Russia has made America to be its enemy for a long time. They they are served by big bad America. We don't really make a lot of our policy based on big bad Russia. We have always had them as a mutual superpower. But when you really look at it, Russia isn't really on par with America in many ways. They They are better served by us as their enemy than we are served by them as our enemy and i think it's not so much that people in the electorate have changed it's that our media has changed and the republican party has changed and we have convinced people that they're better off you know there was some people at a trump rally about a year ago that were wearing shirts that said i would rather be russian than a democrat and i'm not sure so much if it's the electorate that's changed is it's more that the people who feed that electorate have changed, and they are the ones uh, coming up with these ideas because it serves them, their party, their agenda. It doesn't serve the electorate. If, if people understood, you know, how much more expensive it would, co- it would be to be in a direct war with Russia rather than funding the war with Ukraine as a proxy war, they would be 100% behind Ukraine. If they were really thinking about what it's like for democratic nations, they would be 100% behind Ukraine. If they could read the things that are really happening and the genocide that's going on with the Ukrainian people, they would be behind Ukraine. But that is not what they're being fed. And I think we're seeing that with, you know, all these new court documents that are talking now with Rupert Murdoch, you know, and his top brass at Fox News. They all knew that President Trump's claims of election fraud were false. But they continue to spread those false accusations and sort of wall-to-wall coverage on their network to keep their viewers happy. So if you're a Fox News viewer or you're someone that's in that electorate of the Republican Party right now, that should upset you because you're being lied to and you're being manipulated for someone else's power, not to serve you, but to serve them. And I think people should really be aware of that.
1: Well, you know, it was amazing to me that when you bring that up about uh, Rupert Murdoch and Fox, it was amazing to me that there were so many people that believed that. Given that the Republicans were saying that that uh, Biden won the election, you know, it was the Republican uh, Attorney General of Georgia that certified Biden as the winner in Arizona and all these other places in Pennsylvania. There were Republicans saying that he won, and they still believed the Fox News stuff. It's because people believe what they want to believe, I, I think. And one of the things, and I, I, I want you, you know, I want to ask you about your particular podcast. One of the things is I don't think that people go out and look for the truth, uh, especially on the internet. I think what they look for is things that support uh, the prejudices and beliefs that they already have. They look for people who yeah. agree with them. So how do you yeah. get people? You got 1.5 million people that want to hear what you have to say. How do you do that? How, how do you get people uh, so that you're not just preaching to the choir, but you, but you're 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 actually changing opinions.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I would say I think preaching to the choir gets an absolute bad rap. I think it is essential we preach to our choir. If you think about the analogy, the choir is there every week. They believe in whatever the word is. They want to sing about the word. They want to share the word. They want to be there and, 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 uh, spread the ideas. So I think it is essential to keep your choir happy, to make sure they have all the right things that they need to continue to spread that word and bring people into your church. I mean, I always say, if you've seen Sister Act, you know how important a good choir can be, right? So we have to keep our own choir happy, keep them with the right facts, make sure they know what they want to know. I often say what I do is put into words what people are thinking or I'm thinking what people can't quite put into words. And when I do my kitchen rants, I keep them short and sweet for a reason so that people can easily share them with people. They can say, this is what I was talking about or, you know, that thing we were saying and I couldn't quite, this is it. And I find that that is very helpful for people to start a dialogue and start a conversation because ultimately we are all responsible for our own people. And that means at our dining room tables, that means in our hair salons, that means at the grocery store when somebody says something that you know is wrong. We can no longer say, oh, it's not my business. You have to say, actually, I think you might want to look that up because that's not entirely true. And so what I try to do with the work I do is give people the words and the context and the um, interest to start talking about it. So when you hear a story on the radio or you hear someone say something, it doesn't just go over your head. I always laugh that when you learn a new word, it suddenly seems like everyone is using that word, but that's not actually the case. It's just that you now know the word, so you're hearing it. And uh, it's not that everyone just started using the word plethora, right? Like it's been out there the whole time. You just didn't hear it because you didn't know what it meant. What I'm trying to do is make sure people know what it means So that when they hear the things, they can immediately react to it, feel something, start a conversation, start a dialogue, and get engaged. Because ultimately, if we hold on to democracy or if we don't hold on to democracy, it comes down to our engagement and our interest. So with the podcast, it's an extension of the rants. But what I try to do is the individual episodes I do by myself is breaking down big, big concept ideas into a way most of us actually talk, most of us actually think. And you think, why do we do it like that? I try to answer it like that. So why do we do it like that? And he's like, well, we actually do it like that because of X, Y, and Z. And I find that once people know, they care. And once you care, then you're going out, and you're looking for more information or you're talking to people about it. And then if I have guests on, I try to talk to them the way most normal people would and not the way um, politically savvy people would or intellectuals would. But the way, if someone uses an acronym, you say, what do you, what's the acronym you're using there? And they say, oh, sorry, I mean the American Association of blah, blah, blah. That way, people can really feel like they know more. I want them to spend an hour with me a week, and I want them to feel smarter. I don't do it so I feel like the smartest person in the room. I do it so they can go out and feel like the smartest person in the room, and they can really help start the dialogue. That's the whole goal, because at the end of the day, We're like frogs in a pot if we're not paying attention, right? We're just sitting here in America, like drifting along, thinking everything's going well, and we don't realize the heat is being turned up on us so much that we'll eventually have killed our own democracy without noticing. So I think it's essential that we don't become complacent and we don't just blindly trust the powers that be to take care of us because it's not going to get better if we don't do something. And... Half of the powers that be have done this to us, and we can see now in active time our rights being taken away as women, what they're doing to the trans community, what they will do to the gay community. You know, we see a rising tide of Christian nationalism and this idea in a country that was founded on the separation of the church and the state where we're blending the two together. And if we aren't paying attention, it'll happen before we know it, and we won't know how to roll it back. You only have to look at pictures of Iran in the 70s and then see what they're fighting for now to realize that it's a lot harder to get rights back once they've been taken than it is to save them before they're gone.
1: Well, uh, first of all, let me tell you, I think you do a marvelous job in presenting uh, things uh, clearly to people in ways that they can understand and relate to. And that's very, very important. And I've got to tell you that after 40 years of being a Democrat, I think the Achilles heel of the Democratic Party is that we very often talk down to people. We very often say to people uh, things like, uh, you don't need a gun, you're just not smart enough to figure it out, let us explain it to you, rather than sitting down and trying to you know, explain our particular position in terms that they can understand. So I think you do a really great job uh, at that, and I think that's really important. Uh, yeah. I just, well, you know I, what?
0: The Republicans are way better. The Republicans are way better than us at that. And Absolutely. we can learn a lot from them at how great they are at marketing short, quick sound bites that put the Democrats on their heels always. I mean, the fact that they took the right, they took pro-life when they are, you know, pro-war, pro-death penalty, pro-guns. I mean, everything about their their positions are not at all pro-life. What they are is pro-birth. But they are much better marketers than we are. They're much better salespeople. And I'm not talking about the Democrats. I don't want the Democrats to get better at sloganeering. I want them to get better at explaining things in the clearest way possible. So people go, yeah, that is exactly what I stand for. You know, you're exactly right when you say the Democrats are too verbose or we have not a tendency right. to talk down to people. It's not that I think we're trying to talk down. We try to over explain or show the nuance or, you know, there isn't a simple answer to this. And once you're onto the, you know, third sentence, people have checked out. And I think we have to be much clearer about what our values are, what we stand for, who we are as a party, because when you really lay it out, it's not just the majority of the voters in the country who we already know vote for Democrats based on the popular vote. It's the majority of America that when you lay things out, they go, yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, like 80 plus percent of people think there should be some sort of background checks for guns. That's not Democrats and Republicans. That's just common sense thinking Americans. You know, there's a huge percentage of people who believe that women should have the autonomy over their own bodies. And that Government shouldn't be mandating pregnancy. That's bananas. That's crazy big government fascist, to stop-down stuff. And you lay it out simply, and people go, well, yeah, I actually do believe in that. But if you allow the Republicans to keep setting the tone, and you allow them to keep setting the narrative so you're constantly on your your heels explaining your way out of it, that's why we've always had trouble. And I think The Democrats are, I think they're starting to find a shift because the Republicans have gone so far off a cliff all at the same time, banning books and taking our rights and you know, talking about exterminating trans people that it's easier for the Democrats to get clear about what we stand for and what we're for and what we're um, standing behind. But we shouldn't have had to wait for the Republicans to run completely off a cliff for us to do that. And now we have to really get smart about how... Strategic we're being to defeat what the Republican Party has become, which is really the party of Trump and, quite frankly, the DeSantis and the party of fascism.
1: And uh, well, I again I couldn't agree with you more. I my first job in politics was working for Jimmy Carter, and we oh. a man a man who at ninety seven years old uh, still teaches Sunday school, and we found ourselves in a. Uh, fist fight with people like Jerry Falwell for not being good Christians, you know, and and we took it on the chin about it, you know, that we were non-religious, that we didn't care uh, about people that 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 were religious, and it was just crazy, you know. We we, we all worked for this guy that 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 uh, was so religious, and and as Democrats, we took it, we we accepted. Uh, that as, as a given, and we tried to defend ourselves against it, it was crazy, and we still do that. I agree. I saw a thing that you did where you're an unabashed advocate for the renomination of President Biden. Um, you know, tell us about that. Why, why should we, I know that there, there's some there are people out there saying there should be a younger guy, there should be you know, a more progressive person. Uh, why do we all have to get up and stand behind the president?
0: Yeah, I think here's the thing. This is another problem with the Democrats. We are not terrific in the history of the Democratic uh, election cycles. We are not great at long-term planning. If we see something like the reversal of Roe as a 40-year plan from when... Uh, Roe was passed to when we it was basically overturned was about 40 years of concerted effort of people like Falwell and the like to overturn something they thought they did not want. And we need to get better at long term strategic planning. What do we believe in? What do we want? How do we get it? Right? So, right now, I understand innately there are people who are excited. And want fresh young leadership and people with big new ideas. I would argue that Joe Biden's people actually have great big new ideas. If you look at what they've been passing, what they wanted to pass with Build Back Better, what they did pass with the Infrastructure Act, what they did pass with the Inflation Reduction Act, all the climate issues that are happening, bringing broadband to every community in America, making sure every American has clean drinking water the childhood tax credit that like lifted 40% of the country out of poverty these are all big democratic broad progressive ideas and his team is young and fresh and hungry and when you look at the bills that they've written they've written in you know ways that you you can't jump through a loophole and still get your money from the federal government and then not do the environmental thing they have taken so much time to make sure that If you take federal money, you're doing exactly what the federal government wanted you to do with it. That's for the good of the country. That will help people. It is the Democrats that want to give you a raising minimum wage. It is the Democrats that want to give you better access to health care and lower prescription drug prices. So we can't mess around with that right now. We are literally in a fight for the country's life. And talking about primering Joe Biden right now is just short-sighted, to the point of self-destructive. And you, don't, you can't change your general mid-battle. And that's where we are. We are mid-battle. But the, thing, the last thing democracy needs right now, and it's what I said in my rant, is a democratic primary. We're late-stage capitalism. We have a corrupt Supreme Court. We're literally on the knife's edge between autocracy and democracy when you look at what the Trump people are doing and what the DeSantis people are already passing in Florida. And we have to remember that a primary will cost us at minimum $100 million, $100 million for Democrats to fight amongst themselves, air all of our dirty laundry in public, and then pick someone. Well, we don't need to pick someone. We already have someone. Joe Biden has gotten more accomplished in two years, you could almost say, than in the history of presidents. And in this increasingly cynical world where everyone is negative and hateful, Joe Biden is this good, decent man. And like I said, he has an incredible staff who know what they're doing and have these thoughtful plans for the country that include everything from women's rights to gay rights and workers' rights and, like I said, environmental protections, which is really the problem of our lifetime. You could argue that one of the biggest reasons democracy is winning in Ukraine is because Joe Biden had the... Epic foreign policy experience and the wisdom and humility to gather all these world leaders together when everyone thought NATO was out and archaic. And he built this coalition to support them. And that is a successful president who can run on all of that. We don't need to replace him. We need to spend our time and money giving him a bigger majority in Congress so he can get even more accomplished. We need to get the House back. We need to hold the Senate. 2024 is a terrible year for Democrats in the Senate. It's going to be really hard. We need more AGs who believe in democracy and the rule of law. We're seeing what's happening in Georgia right now. They're literally trying to undermine, completely undermine the rule of law there. We see what's happening, trying to undermine democracy itself. So we don't have the luxury of having a primary when we already have a successful sitting president. Everyone knows that an incumbent has a better chance of winning anyway. So who cares if he talks old? Who cares if he is old? You know, he says things like malarkey. We can get over it, right? By every measurable metric, he's an excellent leader. So we want to take that energy and that money we would have spent on a primary and direct it at building the infrastructure that will uh, beat our opponents. And our opponents are doing truly terrible things. And that is where we need to put our energy and our focus right now. And anyone who thinks, oh, well, let's just pull in this person or this person. I know you have Marianne Williamson on your show. She's terrific. She's got a lot of great ideas. But she's not what we need right now. If she wants to maybe, like, go to South Dakota or to Alabama or to Georgia and like try and flip a Senate. You know, not Georgia. Please don't. uh, One of the other states and try and take a Senate seat with her wonderful group of people that support her. Terrific. That would be very helpful. You know, if she wants to put her energy towards AGs or towards pro-democracy or towards women's rights in this country, that would be so helpful. But we don't need another presidential candidate. The bottom line is our current president is successful. And he is better than any alternative the Republicans could put up. So if we want to win, how we feel about him is irrelevant. I personally think he's terrific. But we have to think big picture long term and pick our battles. And a Democratic primary, it's just not it.
1: Well, I would also add to that that it's a fait complete. There's no way. I've been a superdelegate for the past four conventions, nominee conventions, and I've had some role in the past 11 Democratic nominating conventions, and I can tell you that if he wants a nomination, he will get the nomination. There's no way to keep him out. Um, they tried this with Jimmy Carter Jimmy Carter was in a similar position where there were people that were attacking him on everything from uh his policies to you know his complacency and uh Ted Kennedy tried to. Mount a campaign against him in in the to get the nomination at the convention. He was immediately shut down. He was immediately pushed out. This is a man that had a lot of power in the Democratic Party at the time. So if Biden wants the nomination, he'll get the nomination. And if we go through all that stuff that you just talked about airing our dirty laundry fighting against him the only thing we can do is diminish his chance to win I absolutely exactly agree
0: with that. it didn't help it didn't help Carter right like Yeah, it if, didn't help Carter no there you go and, I mean that's and, the thing you you right. beat your own opponent up they are less strong when they get in the ring with their real opponent right like that's what we need we need our our Democratic presidential candidate to be as strong as possible when they get into the ring with either Trump or DeSantis, right? We don't beat him up first. We send him in as strong as possible with a team that has been supporting him for the past year and a half, not fighting against him for the past year and a half.
1: Well, that's an old saying in the Democratic Party, too, that uh, Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in line. So, uh, you know, we, we, we really, so many times we shoot ourselves in the foot. By, Absolutely. Uh, well, let me uh, ask
0: you something, though, Michael. Yeah. Let me ask you: Do you feel like because that has always been the case? That Democrats fall in yeah. love. Republicans fall in line, and that has been the case for literally decades. But yes. with the Trump phenomenon, do you find that that has switched a bit? That people in the Democratic Party fell in line behind Biden in a way I don't think they might have in the past because they understood what we were up against and. In contrast, the Republican Party, particularly the new Trump voters and what they call the base, the MAGA base, is literally in love to a point of their own destruction. They are in love. And that's why I think people often make the cult reference Um, that they're at these rallies and they've got the T-shirts and they've got the songs and they're weeping when they see him. I feel like in some ways that that old way of looking at it has almost um, switched. What do you think about that, having been in politics for as long as you have been?
1: Well, I think, first of all, that the Republican Party, the thing that you explained about them falling in love, is really coming back to haunt them right now. Because how many, prob- how many Republicans would like to be rid of this guy, and they can't get rid of him? You know, and he may very well be their candidate, uh, because there's no way they can stop him. So, and in the process, I think he's tearing the Republican party apart so that that's the first thing I think is that they have a real problem on on their hands with this guy and yes, I agree with you that that Democrats we were all shocked we were all shocked. The only good thing I could say about Donald Trump's election is that my family never no longer asked for my political advice because just prior to his election i was saying don't be crazy nobody's going to vote for this guy who's going to vote for this jerk? nobody's going to do that and 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 then after they, he won now they don't ask me for my opinion anymore but <laughs> but we were shocked we were shocked by that so yes yeah. I it, well it i think
0: i think it's also it was it was quite distressing
1: yeah I mean, come on, the guy never did anything. I always say to people, think about you hiring the next president of the United States. And you get Hillary Clinton's resume, you know, Secretary of State, United States Senator uh, in the White House for eight years. And then you see Donald Donald Trump's resume, a reality TV star. You know, who are you going to pick? I mean, it was just crazy that they picked uh, Donald Trump, and and you know that's another thing about politics. People have to like you, which is strange. And and, yeah. and that, if the head of you, if if the CEO of your company was making a lot of money for you, you might say, "Well, he's not my favorite person," but you know, but yeah, he's doing a great job. And uh, right. uh, we couldn't do that with Hillary. There was something about Hillary that people just didn't like you know bill got the personality in the family she was very straightforward and but to choose donald trump over her i still haven't figured out what played the biggest role in that that disaster was it misogyny was it you know the fact that people just couldn't warm up to her or 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 what was it but yeah i think you're right i think the democrats were not going to be be um defeated this this last election because they were scared of Donald Trump rightfully so. And you know another thing with was Hillary Clinton is since I brought her up is that she had the inside gang too. Uh, a lot of women inside the Democratic Party thought that the election had been stolen, the nomination had been stolen by Barack Obama because in when Barack Obama was coming up we all sat around and, and, and thought Hillary had it in the back. We're all like, yeah, oh, Hillary's going to get it. Nobody else is going to get it. So there was an element that worked for the Donna Brazils and, the, the you know, people like that on the inside that worked to make sure that they they shut out people like Bernie Sanders. But
0: um, Yeah, you know what? It's interesting, though, because I think that there's a couple of things. And, of course, as – a healthy woman myself. I'm a big I'm a big believer in Hillary. And I actually think Hillary stepped back for Barack because it was clear at the time that Obama really had the will of the people behind him. I think it really did feel like it was her turn, and then she saw that the will of the people was behind him. Now, you asked what was the question? What was it? I would probably go a little bit misogyny at the end of the day. The Democrats were, less racist than they were misogynistic people still can't quite get their head around women leaders people like women uh as leaders until we actually seek power until we actually go seeking power if you give us a job um they loved her as secretary of state she was great secretary of state but as soon as she was like i'm gonna run for president people were like oh i don't know i don't really want to have a beer with her she's a bit standoffish she's quite cold at the i always think of the harry potter books you know like Harry Potter would never have made it past book one without Hermione, right? She was the smart one. She knew what was going on. She did all the research so he could defeat all these things. He would have died in book one without Hermione. But Harry's the the person we all get behind. And I think Hillary Clinton in many ways is a Hermione, you know? She's a smart. She knows everything. She's got it all. She has the resume. She's very organized. She's done all the work. And people don't respect the person that's done it. I honestly think this, who do we have, want to have a beer with thing is ridiculous. We shouldn't want to have a beer with our leaders. It shouldn't be the guy you want to hang out with most in a bar. Our leaders should be the person that could best do the job, who have the best requirements, who are ready to lead us. Honestly, they should speak in words that are a little bit verbose. And then there should be people like me who explain it to you if it's complicated. What I think is interesting is you said you were a super delegate, And... I often think people get on the the Democrats a lot for having superdelegates, as if having people who truly understand the party and truly understand party politics, having a little bit more voice in who we nominate is somehow anti-democratic. And I don't think that's the case. I think it is important to have people who really understand how the system works, how the cake gets made coming in and saying, actually I think this person has a better shot. I think we should probably put our, our delegate our superdelegate points towards that person. Because if the Republicans had superdelegates, which they do not have, I believe Trump never would have been their nominee. I think they didn't have any way to stop him. They let him run rough shot over their ridiculous amount of candidates. First of all, that was a clown car. There were way too many of them that they had to have in in Trump's primary. They had to have two separate nights of debates with like a B team and an A team. And really just Trump just went at all of them like a high school bully until they all looked kind of stupid. They all had a nickname. You know, Marco Rubio tried to come back with his hands on it. Like it was just a clown car. But people loved it. It felt passionate. It felt like a reality show. And so Trump kept gaining momentum. And I can remember having the same conversation you had with your family, where I was like, no, he can't win. It's not possible. Because you think this cannot happen. And yet, because we don't have, they don't have super delegates on the Republican side, the momentum got too big for them to actually stop him. And they had no Uh, system in place, no infrastructure in place to stop him, and then they had to get behind him. But my problem with the Republican Party is they know that they're trying to ride the tiger and they can't. They know that he's completely out of control. They've actually created a worse version of Ron DeSantis, but we're lucky in that Ron DeSantis has no personality in comparison to Trump. He's a wet blanket in comparison to Trump. But they could have stopped Trump during either of his impeachments. They could have just voted to end his presidency, but they didn't. They could have voted to end it after January 6th. They didn't. He was impeached twice. They could have stopped him. They could have removed him. They didn't. They could have stopped him during the Stop the Steal lies that were easily proved wrong with 60 court cases. Like you said, a lot of them in front of Republican justices, and they didn't. So now they're in a position where they are tied to him like an anchor around their neck or an albatross. And so they have to play this out. And I think what Lindsey Graham said, that if we nominate Donald Trump, we will will destroy ourselves and we'll deserve it. That has to come to fruition. But it only comes to fruition if their opponents, the Democratic Party, and those of us in America who might not align with the Democratic Party but believe in democracy and believe in the rule of law, And believe they want to live in a country that is free and fair and not targeting women or targeting trans people or targeting children or telling us what books to read or what our teachers can teach. Anyone that believes in basic American values needs to get behind the destruction of this version of the Republican Party. Because it's not that we don't need an active two-party system. It's just that right now, one party is not actually even a Democratic small d party anymore. And we until we get back to that, we have to look at the Democratic Party, Big D, as the only American party. Because if you look at anyone from Joe Manchin to, like you said, Bernie Sanders, that's a heck of a spread. That's all under the Democratic umbrella. That's about four parties. We probably have a working parliamentary system underneath that umbrella. And so we need to actively support that party. Either until they split up and become multiple parties in the Democratic umbrella, or until the Republican Party sorts themselves out. Because right now, the road the Republican Party's on, they're riding that till the end. And either we go along with them, and we exterminate trans people, and we put women back in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant, and rapists get to choose the mothers of their children, or we vote for Democrats, and we destroy the party that's trying to destroy America.
1: Well, you know, to tell you, just to, to, to add to what you said about superdelegates, I just happened to be a staffer for the Democratic National Committee when the idea came up, and we, we actually worked on it. We never thought it would ever be used, but but it was born out of the frustration of Carter, Mondale, um, um, and and, you know, um, that whole debacle of not being able to put a candidate forth that we thought could win. So uh it really did come in uh it really hasn't come in has come in handy lately, uh but we never thought it would be much. It has turned into <laughs> something. Uh but uh and it's also incredible to me when I think about misogyny, it's incredible to me that all these industrialized countries have had women leaders from England to Germany to India to, you know, all, all these countries. We're the only one that haven't had a, 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 a president or prime minister that's a woman. So, uh, yeah, it's certainly still a part of the mix. You know, my wife tells me that I'm a great theoretical feminist. I believe that all women, with the exception of her and my two daughters, should be equal. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we, still have, we, still, we still have a ways to go on that. But look, I We cannot, have a long way to go. We do have a long way to go. And, and I, I can't, but I can't end a conversation with you. I've got to talk about this tonight. I don't know if you're fully aware that the House of Representatives and the Senate, uh, with the help of 65 Democrats overturned a law in the District of Columbia because every law that's passed in the District of Columbia must go to Congress for approval. Uh, And if it sits in Congress for 30 legislative days or 60 legislative days, depending on what type of legislation it is, and Congress takes no action, then it becomes law. But this week they stood up and they said no to a revision of our criminal code. Now, on the one hand, on the one hand, uh, it was stupid of our city council to send it up there when the Republicans are attacking Democrats all over the country as being soft on crime. It was right for for them to get involved. Uh, but what can we do to get people like you to talk about the fact that in the 20th first century, we do not have democracy in the District of Columbia, that we don't have any elected representatives that can vote in the Senate or in the House of Representatives, that the Congress has ultimate control over all our laws, and our budget is the only budget in America that has to be signed off on by Congress. This is our local budget and the president of the United States. We can't even spend our local tax money. How do we get people like you involved in the fight?
0: Well, I mean, definitely people like me should be involved in the fight. At the end of the day... What's going on with D.C. comes back to the very foundations of our country, right? No taxation yeah. without representation, right? Exactly you right. guys That's- do not have the same representation. You know, I I watched Stacey Plaskett from the U.S. Virgin Islands during the impeachment. Right. And she also doesn't have a vote. And she's an absolute superstar, right? She's there as a member of Congress, but she cannot vote, right? So we want to make sure that we're doing stuff that moves us forward. Right now, D.C. is a problem because... Republicans are going to paint it like we're just trying to get more senators, right? Oh, Democrats are trying to cheek around and get more senators. But what we have to think of is democracy in many ways, and it goes back to what I was saying about the majority sentiment of the country, is that things should be fair. It is very odd that you could take, say, South Dakota and North Dakota with their four senators, and they have less of a population than almost D.C., right? Or you could take Montana. Way less of a population than D.C. Two senators. You guys don't have any, right? That doesn't right. make any sense. There is no democracy in this the seat of our democracy. And that is something we should be talking about. And that comes back to things that people love, which is fairness and justice and all the things that we talk about America's standing for, right? I think one of the first things we should be talking about for as Democrats, and not just for D.C., but for all of us, <clears throat> excuse me, is that Democrats are the party of freedom, right? We're the ones, even though we hear the Republicans telling us all the time that they're the ones to stand up for freedom and they're the ones of fiscal conservatism and small government, they're not any of those things. And then that returns us to the idea that they're better salespeople, better marketers. But if you want to be free to who you, be who you want to be, if you think you should be respected for who you are, you're a democrat, right? If you think you should be able to pick your religion or pick your own spouse, you're a democrat. If you think you should be able to choose your friends, choose your pronouns, choose what you want to do for fun, you're a democrat. If you want to dress and drag and entertain people, how about it? If you want to marry someone of the same sex or the opposite sex, go for it. If you want to be an atheist or a Buddhist or a hardcore Catholic, that's your choice. You are free to do so. The Democrats have to stand up and be the party of freedom. We have to stand up and be the party of fairness. We have to talk about everything from making sure the people in D.C. have a vote that really counts, because that is the foundation of our country to begin with, all the way to making sure that people can read what they want to read and Teach what needs to be taught, that medical decisions should be left to medical professionals, and education should be managed by educators, that we should defer to scientists on science. Because I don't understand when we decided, or more specifically, when did the party of small government decide, that politicians get to make all of our life choices, right? And... This is not just back to our misogyny conversation with what I do with my own body should be my choice and not the government, or what religion you practice or don't practice should be up to you and not your government, or how you dress or what you read or where you go should be the deci- you know, decision of a citizen of a free nation and not dictated by the government. But certainly, if the government is going to be making such important decisions, we should have representation that reflects us. And right now, D.C. doesn't have that. And representation matters. So, well, you know, that, that's what I think we need to be thinking of. And that's what I think we need to keep reminding people that they should be fighting for it.
1: Well, yeah, and everything you talk about when you talk about small government and you talk about, you know, us being able to to uh, make our own decisions, all these as as the Republicans attack the District of Columbia, because, you know, we're the most Democratic jurisdiction in America. We have no (laughs) elected. We have no elected officials that aren't Democrats. We've never once voted for a Republican for president. Uh, And it's
0: no wonder you're being held back from having, you know,
1: your own voice there. Right. So they attack us on that basis, but they also say, you know, they stand for small government, but they won't let us spend our own money. They stand for, you know, uh, self determination and freedom, but they they won't let us make any of our own decisions. So as they use us as a centerpiece, uh, as a whipping boy, which they intend to do, they've already moved on from turning turning down that piece of legislation to another piece of legislation, which is the crime uh, 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 the police re- reform bill where uh, uh, it's the, you know, policing act of 2022, which has been in effect for a year. They're now attacking that and trying to overturn it. So they're not going to stop. And it's funny because the Democrats could use DC as a classic example of, of of how these guys are uh, duplicitous in almost everything they say. I mean, yeah. you, you know, let me say that we're almost out of time here. So let me ask you, is there something you want to say that you haven't said, a question I haven't asked you, or something you want to talk about? And and well, tell I people how they can listen to you.
0: For sure. Sure. Well, I think ultimately what we need to remember is that the American experiment is just that, right? It's an experiment. An experiment can fail. So we have to make sure we are putting in the work so we can live in the country we keep telling people we are right? We have a beautiful brochure that tells people what America stands for and what it is and who we are. You know, anyone from anywhere can make it if they just work hard enough and the land of immigrants and the land of opportunity, but we're not that so much in reality. So if we want to keep telling people, if we want to be this country we tell people we are, we have to work for it. And if you believe in democracy, you can't vote for people who don't. If you believe in freedom, you can't vote for people who would take it away. And if you believe in fairness, you can't vote for people who continually make things less fair for everyone. So ultimately, I want people to be engaged. I want them to be informed. As you said in the beginning, what what are the things we're told to not talk about our whole lives? Politics and religion. And what are the things that cause the most problems in the history of the world? Politics, Politics and religion. And
1: religion.
0: Yeah. So I'm telling you, I'm telling everybody start talking about this stuff. Start talking about politics. It affects every aspect of your life from how fast you can drive to if you live through a pandemic and become engaged. And if you want to know things in a simple way and really digestible way to absorb these big concept ideas, you can join me at the Politics Girl Project. And I'm Politics Girl on YouTube. I am Politics Girl on all the socials. And we just keep breaking things down. We keep it interesting. We keep it so that you can go out into the world and spread spread the word yourself. Be the choir. You know what I'm saying? And I think yeah. ultimately we all want to live in a fair and free country, and we all want to live in the America that we grew up thinking this was. And I think we can get back there, but it's just going to take all of us working together.
1: Well, that's a perfect note to end on. And let me say, it, 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 as you invoke the American experience, uh, the American experiment, rather. Uh, unfortunately, D.C. was the control group. They were the group that was set aside uh, because we didn't know how the experiment was going to work. And now it's time to, to uh, do exactly what you say and embrace democracy and stand up for the values that we believe uh, America has always represented. So Lee McGowan... You now have 1.5 million plus one fans. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm. You know, I encourage everybody to listen to your stuff. It's amazing. It's true. It's entertaining. And God bless you for the work you're doing because it's really, really, really important. And we leave every. We end every show with a song that we dedicate to our guests. And uh, tonight's song is by The Who. Uh, It's Sensation from The Rock Opera Tommy Thanks everybody and we'll see you Next week and thank you Lee McGowan
0: Thank you Michael And thank you America I believe we can do this
1: Me too I
0: overwhelm As I approach you Hear loves, hold breath inside. Lovers break, caresses
1: for me. Love enhanced when I come by. Oh,
0: in the camera Give the, the their right to give the people their right to vote. Give the people their right to vote. Give the people their right to vote. Give the people their right to
1: vote.